We're continuing on in Luke chapter 9 today. If you haven't noticed, Luke 9 is a long chapter. And it is packed. It is packed with stories and experiences. Some of them big, some of them small, and many of them difficult. Luke 9 begins with the disciples being sent out by Jesus. They're sent out to preach. It continues with, with the feeding of the 5,000. That's a, that's a big story. Uh, it continues with Peter's confession of Christ, the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. That's a big story. From there, we read of the transfiguration where Jesus takes some of the disciples up on a mountain and he's there with Moses and Elijah. Those are all big stories, aren't they? Those are all important stories, big events. And our attention is naturally drawn to stories like that. But we can't let our attention be drawn away from the little stories, from the small stories, from the needs of the one. And here in the middle of Luke chapter 9, something big happens to one little person. And it changes everything. If you've got your Bibles, follow along with me in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. It, it shatters him, and it will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Let me ask you a couple of questions from that passage. Uh, first of all, uh, how many were astonished? Well, if you're paying attention, you saw it, right? It's, it's all. The second question is this. What was it that astonished them? Well, it says the majesty of God. Now, your Bible may say something a little different. Some Bibles say the magnificence of God, the greatness of God. It's, a, it's an interesting word. It's only used four times in the New Testament the root of the word that's used here, the root in Greek is, the, is a word that you're familiar with also. It's the word mega. And anything that's mega is what? Anything that's mega is big. <laughs> the bigness of God. You know, if you, if you back up just a few verses, you have the story of the transfiguration. And again, it's there that Jesus is on this mountain with, with a few disciples. And his, he is glorified. He is shining. There is, there is Moses and Elijah there with him. But only three disciples saw that, Peter, James, and John. It, it wasn't for everything. It wasn't for everyone. It, it wasn't mega. But here, this is for all, and all are astonished, and all came to see how big God is. They came to see his power, his glory, his majesty, all because of the needs of one person, one boy, one son. What strikes me about this story is that among the all that were there, uh, there must have been some people that 
didn't feel worthy. Some people who didn't feel that they deserved to experience the touch from God or to see his majesty. Majesty, again, mega, right? It, it means big. And for some of us, mega, all that reminds us of is how, how small we are. We're from a, <laughs> we're from a small town. Uh, we're small people. We have small lives. The only thing mega about us sometimes, the only thing big is is our problems. We encounter illness. We encounter financial trouble. We encounter some family problems, some relationship problems. We, we make some mega mistakes sometimes. But if all were astonished at the majesty of God, as verse 43 says, then that all can include us. We can be astonished at the majesty of God. We can know that God is bigger than the troubles that we face. We can know that God is bigger than our weaknesses. And we can know this not because you and I are especially good or we're special people. We can know this because when Jesus came, he came for all to reveal the Father to all. And when we look to him, we see his bigness. We see his majesty. When you are feeling small, the majesty of God is available to you. Now let's, let's take a closer look at these people who are part of the all. Let's take a closer look at the people who are astonished at the majesty of God. I think we'll see that we have a lot in common with, with some of them. Like them, you, you can know God's majesty despite your pain. Today is Father's Day, and so I feel it's only appropriate that we, well, we start by looking at the Father in this story. After all, he is at the center of the story. I want to read it again, verses 38 and 39. Behold, a man from the crowd, remember the crowd, the, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. It shatters him and will hardly leave him. Can you hear his pain? Can you hear his pain? Not just, not just his pain in, in what his son is experiencing, but his pain in what he is experiencing. This is my only child, he says. In, a, in that culture, that only child would be his only hope for a future. That only child would be his only hope of someone to care for him and his wife in their old age. That, that only child is the only promise of something that would live on beyond him. A legacy. And yet his son is troubled. And worse of all, as a father, there's nothing he can do about it. Can I tell you, I feel a little bit of that myself. I mean, my family is blessed, and, and I'm blessed with a, a wonderful son, Connor. Connor has autism, and uh, Connor is a blessing. A lot of parents of autistic children, they have to deal with meltdowns in public, uh, screaming tantrums, and just children that are out of control. And thankfully, that's not been part of our experience. That's not part of, of Connor's autism. There was a day last fall 
It had been a long day and we were out of town. We'd been shopping and, and went out as a family and, and it, it was a long day and really it got to be way too much for Connor. And we were in a store late in the afternoon and the store was packed and there was a lot of noise and suddenly there in pretty much in the middle of the store, Connor just froze, put his head down and he drew himself into himself and he just stood there and tried to shut everything and everyone out and just exist in his own little world. I needed to get him out. I knew things weren't going to get better. And so I put my arm around him and I tried, I tried to move him. And I suddenly realized he's a lot bigger than me. And I'm not strong enough to move him. And he's getting older and I'm getting older and this is not going to get any better. I, I stood there with my arm around my buddy and, and I said, come on, let's go, let's go. And I was suddenly very aware that people were walking around us and watching us and paying attention. And one man walked up and said, is everything okay? And it's kind of an accusatory tone. I've known parents of autistic children before who have told me that in the midst of a meltdown, they've had the police called because the onlookers don't understand what's happening. Thankfully, that, that did not happen. But in that moment, I realized how impossible it was for me to move him. And I realized how difficult this was for us all. And so I hear something of that in the Father's words to Jesus. Mark tells this story also, and Mark gives us a few more details. In Mark chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, Mark has the Father say that this has been happening to the, to the child since childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. And then he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us, my son and me, and help us. This was a, a long pain and his son was getting older and it was not getting any easier. It was not getting any better. But in the midst of that pain, Jesus lets him know God is near. God cares. God heals. God makes him whole. And you and I need to know that too. We need to know that no matter the pain we carry, we can be astonished at the majesty of God. It's not just about your pain. It's not just about that burden that you've been carrying, though. Look at the crowd. Look at those around Jesus, those who are astonished, and realize for yourself that you can know God's majesty despite your failure. All is a big word, isn't it? I mean, it includes everybody. And as I've pointed out in previous sermons, Luke focuses on the crowd, right? The crowd that's around Jesus. And it's a, it's a diverse crowd, but it's a crowd where Jesus welcomes them all. And part of that crowd, of course, was the disciples. Now again, Luke chapter 9 begins with Jesus sending the 12 disciples out to, to do amazing things, to preach and to heal. If you look back in Luke chapter 9 verse 1, hear what he specifically says. And, the, and he called, that is Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all 
demons and to cure disease. Gave them authority over what? <laughs> All demons. But what do we read here? Well, verse 40, the, the man, the father says, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. What must that have felt like to the disciples? Didn't that have to feel like failure? There are times when we are deeply aware of how we have failed. We are deeply aware of how powerless we are. I think of a man named Joe Beam. <laughs> I've met Joe a couple of times. Yes, Joe Beam. Uh, yes, by the way, he is a cousin to Jim Beam. More tragically, Joe is a longtime customer of Jim Beam. And Joe is a preacher. Joe is a family man, but one day something snapped. And Joe's life spiraled out of control. Alcoholic does not begin to touch it. The word alcoholic doesn't even cover it. Joe said he tried everything, every drug he could get his hands on. Joe cheated on his wife, which led to divorce. Joe would tell you that there was not a sin he did not try. In every possible way there is for a man to fail, Joe failed. And then one day, the prodigal came to his senses, and he came home. <laughs> he said he had to start courting his wife again. He had to start dating her, and eventually they remarried, and they had another child. And today, Joe has an amazing ministry. Joe is known as the marriage helper. And, and I have personally known those who have been blessed to have Joe help them through some very failed marriages and restore those marriages. I can't imagine what it would have been like if Joe Beam had remained in his failure. But I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who would have never experienced the majesty of God in their marriage and in their addiction. A lot of people who would have never gotten through their own failures. This man comes to the disciples asking them to cast this demon out and they failed. But you know, if you read on, if you make it to the book of Acts, later they, they get it right. Hear that for yourself. Failure is not final. As far as you might feel from God due to your failure, His majesty is there for you. Now, if you're asking me how that works, I'm afraid I'm as stumped as you are, but, but that's okay also. Because among the all in this story, among the all are those who still didn't have it all figured out. So realize this for yourself. You can know God's majesty despite your lack of understanding. If you notice, we ended halfway through verse 43, but look at the rest of the verse and, and really the rest of the story. Verse 43 continues, But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid 
to ask him about this saying. I think, I think we get a hint at Jesus' frustration here. <laughs> Let these words sink into your ears. I mean, you hear it, don't you? Uh, but they did not understand this saying. They didn't get where this was going. They didn't understand what Jesus was going through. They couldn't see the cross before him or the pain that each one of them would go through or the failure that each one of them would experience as each one would deny him, as each one would run away. There was so much they didn't understand, and yet they were all still astonished at the majesty of God. I finished my master's degree last year. Master's degree, and I was supposed to graduate in May. Got a master's in Bible and theology. That sounds very important, doesn't it? Do you know what it means? People ask me, what does that mean? And I said, well, here's what I think it means for me. Whatever I think I know, I don't really know. <sighs> I love what one of the greatest theologians, one of the greatest minds of the 20th century said. Karl Barth was a, was a theologian. He was brilliant. Trust me, his, his books are difficult to read, hard to follow. But in 1962, Karl Barth came to America, and he was being interviewed by some reporters, and one of the reporters said, Dr. Barth, how would you summarize the essence of the millions of words that you have had published? Dr. Bart thought about it for a moment, and he looked up and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> the disciples didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Sometimes we let that hold us back. Sometimes we feel like that holds us back from really understanding God. I, I, I don't know enough. I don't understand enough. I have too many questions. Or sometimes we'll get very honest and we'll say, I have too many doubts. Years later, Peter was there that day. And you don't have to read much further before you realize that Peter didn't understand what was going on. But years later, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter would write these words, Keep on loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. There's so much we'll never understand this side of heaven. But let's understand that. Let's understand love. All were astonished at the majesty of of God, <laughs> the majesty, the magnificence, the greatness, the mega, the, the, the big. <laughs> whatever you're facing this week, whatever feels so big and so out of your control, there is a God who is bigger. And there is a God who is closer than you can understand. Your pain, he knows your pain. And your failure, he knows your failure. But most of all, he knows you. You are not so small that you have escaped his notice. And you are never so small that you escape his love. Speaking of small, our, our cups and our loaves, <laughs> they are small. And yet we come to this week after week. We come because Jesus invites us to his table. 
We come to engage him here. And we come to encounter each other. Because some of us, some of us have been overwhelmed this week. We have been overwhelmed in our pain. The pain of all that we can't do. We have been overwhelmed in our failure of, of all that we have done wrong. And we've been overwhelmed at our lack of understanding. But we will not allow anyone here to be overwhelmed by a lack of love. If we're going to see the majesty of God, we are going to see it all together. And we will see it in the love we have for each other. A love that covers all. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for stories like the one that Peter shares of being on that mountain and hearing your voice. We thank you so much for the experiences that all had at the base of that mountain. As all were astonished at your majesty. Father, we are we are hungry for that experience. We are hungry for an experience of you bigger than the troubles that we face, bigger than our pain, bigger than our failures, and so much bigger than our understanding. Lord, I, I, think, I think one of the things this scripture tells us is if we're going to ever understand that, we will have to understand it all together. And we'll have to understand it through the love we have for all. Today, we thank you. We thank you for the bread that reminds us of a body broken for us. We thank you for the, uh, for the wine, the juice that reminds us of blood shared. And we thank you that this was not just a gift to the few. This was not just a gift to those who deserved it, those that understood it, those who hadn't failed, but rather this was a gift for all. And as we take together, we take it recognizing your love for all, the love that we have for all. We love you. Thank you for your amazing love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Go in peace.